You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Menas. And joining me for this edition of the show, I have two returning panellists. And I have their introductions here that they have written for themselves in their Twitter bios. So we have Patrick here, who, who describes himself as a journalist, podcaster, humorist. He's a crossword film and music triomaniac. He's a fellow of infinite jest and of most excellent fancy. Welcome back to the show, Patrick. Thank you, Menas. You've carried me on your back a million times. Uh, <laughs> That's Hamlet. That's William Shakespeare. You lost me already? And joining us on the show, Kiwi Bob, after a long absence, and he describes himself on his Twitter feed as a musician, anarchist, cricket pundit, which is why he's here, podcaster, friend, gamer, anti-theist, which I had to, uh, I don't know if the pronunciation's right, but I had to Google that to find out what it means. He's a digital media specialist, and he's in two bands, Contradictory Experiments and DFAC. And a little known fact about Bob is he chose his current girlfriend because she shares a birthday with Kane Williamson. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Thanks. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks for having me. What a great intro. I did have something prepared, but uh, no, you've just absolutely trumped it. So thank you very much. Well, what did you prepare, Bob? Uh, and uh, if I'd known that was going to happen, I would have updated my uh, Twitter bio as well. I don't think I've touched that for two years, but uh, brilliant. Anyway, welcome to the show, guys. This is the podcast all about the number three ranked test nation in the world. We have slipped down the rankings the Australian test side is now behind India and Pakistan and level on points with England how do we feel about the Australians slipping from the number one position I mean how do we feel about them being in the number one position like to be honest with you I found it a bit uh, I always find the rankings a little confusing I mean there's no head and shoulders number one I think anybody in the top seven could beat anyone else on their day and uh, I think the way that it's changing every week almost nowadays it feels it uh, reflects how tight it is at the top between these teams one thing that I found interesting about the top seven teams being able to beat each other on their day is that I think any team can beat another team if they're at home it's become incredibly hard to win tests and series away 
Uh, that's why I think Pakistan's achievement in drawing their series to all with England was, was quite remarkable. And they are ahead of us now on the ranking table. When uh, Sri Lanka next come to Australia, you would just put your house on Australia winning 3 0. Yeah, but it is a, a big kick in the teeth for the Australian side to be awarded the test mace on the eve of this series for being the best side in the world and then have it taken away basically at the end of this series. But for the listeners out there, we are still the number one one-day ranked side in the world, so that's something to hang our hat on. And in this episode of the podcast, we're going to look over the third test debacle. Uh, Bob has a huge a few questions to answer to me for getting my hopes up about the Australian performance in Sri Lanka. We're going to get to that. Then we've got a new sledging game. We've also got the commentator critique. And we're going to look ahead to the five-match one-day series starting on the weekend versus Sri Lanka. But I don't know if you missed out. <laughs> Australia lost the third test by a a whopping 163 runs. And I think the story of this match can be told in one simple sentence that Australia had Sri Lanka 5 for 26 on the first morning and Australia were then 1 for 267 in reply, yet we lost by that huge margin of 163 runs. Uh, We've now lost the series 3-0. What do we think of Steve Smith's performance in this series? As a captain? Everything. Uh, I think he got better with the bat. Uh, obviously, the stats will, uh, will 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 agree. You know, lots of frustrating moments, I think, for him, where he probably could have done a bit better in terms of marshalling the troops. He seemed to let the game drift at times, I think, uh, where perhaps a more experienced or perhaps even more optimistic captain wouldn't have let it happen. It was almost like he was resigned to the result after uh, a couple of days. And, and uh, the, the big thing for me, and I don't know if this blame here goes on Smith or on Lehman or on the batting coach or, or, or what, but... The, the big issue to me was just the headspace of all the players and I think Steve Smith as captain has to take some responsibility for that because there were some, they looked like uh, it, it, they were ducks in a shooting range, um, you know, walking out to the crease. So yeah, probably not his best series. There seemed to be a culture in the batting lineup of we're going to get out anyway so we might as well play this as though it's a one day or a 2020 and try and get a quick 40. And Smith himself had a couple of terrible dismissals early on in the series. And it's interesting that once he started trying to knuckle down and play proper cricket, that other batsmen around him also started playing properly. So as he got his century, so did do runs for Sean Marsh and for David Warner in the second innings of the third test. But as for his captaincy, I thought he did very well to get all those wickets out of Mitchell Stark. He, he managed Mitchell Stark really well coming back from injury. We don't normally see fast bowlers do so well on the subcontinent. But I think he was hamstrung by not having a spinner who turns the ball significantly off the pitch. The, the spinners that took a lot of wickets were ones that moved the ball a lot, where it just became unplayable. Whereas Nathan Lyon... He doesn't spin the ball a lot. It's more about uh, drift and it's more about subtle variation. And bounce. And bounce, yeah. And so I, I think that he was hamstrung by that. And I think he could have solved that problem if he bowled himself more with his, with his leg spinners. But captains seem to be uh, very hesitant to bowl themselves because we saw that with Michael Clark as well. Yeah, I think um, Smith had a few key problems well, he certainly doesn't back his own bowling, that's for sure, because there's plenty of opportunities where he could have come in to try and break a partnership. Or David Warner. Well, I don't even think David Warner. I think he's not a bowler, but Smith's much better than Warner. But I think this is a huge learning curve for Smith. He has played a lot of cricket on the subcontinent at one day in T20 level, and for him to now come with huge hopes in this series, with a lot of good preparation, you, you know, this batting lineup probably is as good as any we've had recently at dealing with the subcontinent and for them to then perform so badly under the pressure he looked shattered at the end of it I do think he has to take some of the 
to blame for the mentality that you were talking about, about playing the game like a one-day game. I heard this one sentence throughout the series, which was, if you're out here long enough, a ball has your name on it. I don't know much about batting at that top test level, but I know that's not a really positive thought. Well, the Sri Lankans didn't feel that way. Well, you shouldn't go out there thinking, oh, there's a ball with my name on it. I've just got to make hay as quickly as I can before I get out. I don't think Steve Waugh would have been in the dressing room when Australia was really battling in the subcontinent, telling them all, well, you you know, there's one with your name on it any minute, so just go and have a slog. But putting that in the players' minds was not a good thought at all. It's interesting you mentioned Steve Waugh there because I was wondering about what sort of apprenticeship Steve Smith has done in the captaincy because in his playing career, he had Ricky Ponning as captain who I think was a poor captain and then he had a little bit of Michael Clark who did some good things but I don't think lived up to his captaincy potential uh, as evidenced by losing Ashes series. So I wonder just whether he's really been exposed to that great strategic captaincy that we saw from Alan Border, Mark Taylor and Steve Waugh and that has sort of fallen away recently. Even Shane Warne would have been able to pass on some interesting skills. Yeah, and I'm sure Warney would have at the, at the Rajasthan Royals when Smith was there um, under Dravid as well. Just, just back on that mentality thing, that brainless thing, um, there's no better example than Joey Burns in the second test. Uh, you know, first ball, short and wide, has a swing at it. Second ball, uh, it's bouncing at his chest, hits it straight to mid-wicket. And then he does the same thing in the second innings, just different scenario. It's a spin bowler and he charges down the pitch and hits it straight to cover. Um, just the mentality there, you can tell he's not prepared to, to stick it out. And whether that's, again, I don't know where that's coming from, but Smith has a responsibility to, to nip that in the bud. And uh, I think they, they looked that they're most frazzled in the second test. And in the third, it did seem as though maybe they had, you know, maybe they had uh, a chat about that and... and uh, Obviously, you know, didn't pay think, off in the end. Well, well, I think Marsh was a very calming influence, but yeah, obviously, day five is another story. Well, Steve Smith uh, said the spinners and the batsmen were to blame for the loss, and you know, I hope that if anything, Smith learns a lot from this defeat and can put into place measures that we're more successful in the future. And he talked about the spinners being unsuccessful, which is basically saying Nathan Lyon, which I think puts a huge question mark on whether he'll play in India next year. I just think Smith has this underlying ruthless streak that if it comes to India next year, he will just drop Nathan Lyon on this performance without a hesitation. I I tend to think in in Australian circles, off-spinners are always one bad game away from being dropped. So I I think that Nathan Lyon, it would be right to feel as though his position is now in jeopardy. Uh, I, I think you're both completely overreacting. Um, <laughs> and uh, Nathan Lyon, I mean, his, you know, what do they call him out there in the field, the greatest of all time? He'll, he'll be fine. Uh, but I yeah, do but think why Smith, Smith then he come did... out, criticised him in two press conferences yep. now, and after the second and third test, he's criticised Lyon pointedly about yep. not being able to bowl in these conditions. He's never said he's a bad bowler and he doesn't he's not successful in Australia but we know that where these wickets are lower there's less bounce and you rely more on underspin and side spin Lyon yeah. hasn't performed yeah I think I look I think that's fair and I think he was asked a question and he answered it honestly and you know you can't get around the fact that Lyon didn't didn't perform right um Stephen leaving losing O'Keefe was probably the biggest blow to the squad uh when that happened you know early on in the first test uh, and John Holland, getting, uh, uh, Ducky big Holland, fine from um, Cricket Australia. Yeah. Um, so, and then Ducky Holland obviously was a big disappointment as well, um, and they'll regret that. Even though I thought it was a good selection at the time. Um, now, come on, mate! Don't throw him under the bus like Rod Marsh did. Ducky Holland should have been there two weeks before the Test series in case Stephen O'Keefe or Nathan Lyon got injured. Yeah. It was just, he was absolutely hung out to dry. Yeah, I think that's fair, actually. Yeah. Now let's talk about gamesmanship in this last Test match because we saw some really interesting moments and it, it, I think it started out of the 
the wicket being, uh, there's been a massive hole in the bowling crease and the fast bowlers had real trouble landing their feet. So Stark and Hazelwood were having to bowl uh, like, you know, almost at the return crease on the other side. So they weren't happy about that and it seemed like Nathan Lyon was the, the chief groundsman there for a while. He was fixing the hole. So I think that put the Australians off. They were pretty pissed off that the fast bowlers weren't given a chance to succeed. And then we saw the Peter Neville stumping. Now the, the Sri Lankan batsman just lifted his foot for a second and never whipped the bales off. What do we think of that? Was that within the spirit of the game? Well, I greatly appreciated that this series reignited the rich history of uh, gamesmanship and tension between Australia and Sri Lanka. I thought the Neville stumping was fine. I was very surprised that there was any controversy at all. If you don't want to be stumped, don't leave your crease. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this, is the, this is the legacy that Australia has to deal with, really. Now is every time there's something even marginal, you know, the cricketing public around the world jump on you guys, and it's, it's uh, it, it justified or not. This time, I, I don't think so uh, at all. I, uh, perfectly fine. And, you know, any batter who knows anything, you keep your foot down behind the line. Yeah, I think it was a canny bit of work from Peter Neville. And then we saw some time-wasting from both sides in different ways. One was that the uh, Sri Lankan batsmen didn't want to face any extra overs, I think, on the first day. It was absolutely remarkable that they were getting their overs in on time, I thought. Well, but what's remarkable is that the players would be so against playing some extra overs. You know, they're not against... Uh, not bowling all their overs sometimes on a hot day, but when, when there's a day with a lot of spinners and they could bowl 92, 93 overs that they would actually call for drinks every over and change their gloves to delay any extra overs. I don't think it makes the players look very good. No, and it doesn't make the spectators uh, feel, you know, we're talking about ways to grow the game and, and we, you know, we've, there's been talk of a test championship on this show uh, and at the ICC and, and everyone's talking about it. And, you know, if there's anything that's that's bad for the game it's the umpires letting letting control slip basically and that, uh, to me it comes back to the umpires they've got to basically just take charge that's their job and then we saw the Aussies doing it on the last day when they were trying to minimise the amount of overs dead face to see out the match which it didn't matter because there was 30 or 40 overs left So, but they were really doing the doing the time-wasting thing to the extreme, which yep. is kind of unlike the Australians. We don't often see that from them, which sort of shows, I think, that the subcontinental conditions really frazzled the whole team and they were sort of stooping to sort of levels they don't often go to. I mean, Bob's laughing over there. I know that Aussies are good at sledging, but we don't often resort to time-wasting. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. But you can say um, what they did, I think it actually worked out really well for them because... Uh it actually meant that Sri Lanka declared without being too many runs in front, and it kind of gave Australia that little... Maybe it sort of dangled the carrot a little bit. Come um, on, mate. Maybe the dangled the carrot for you. Well, Over 300 excited. had only been ever chased once before in Sri Lanka. Yeah, but we had no hope this batting lineup would do. I thought it was a very good declaration from Matthews. I thought his captaincy was really strong the whole, t- the whole series. Yeah, and well, just quickly before we leave this uh, gamesmanship, did anyone see the Stark Beamer? on that last morning. Now, there was certainly some element to intention there. He certainly wasn't trying to bowl the beamer at his head, but he was obviously trying to bowl a low full toss. That didn't look good, but unfortunate, but it was certainly an accident. Well, I always think that the umpire has the, the right to make those calls, and I think that you know they should just be empowered to. And so if the, if the umpire deemed, that it, deemed it intentional, he should have acted. If he didn't, then it's just continue playing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a no ball. I mean, you know, yeah. it's the, the, above it looked, the looked very it's dangerous. A, it's a no ball. You know, head high, full dot. So <clears> yeah. that, by then, you could tell the relations between the two teams yeah. were slipping. Well, Stark was uh, Stark upset me in the first test because he lost his call, he lost his way, and he started bowling really poorly because of it. But I thought he'd I thought he'd come back, and, and especially through the second game, 
Uh, I think he picked up 11 wickets and he was bowling with real venom and purpose and, and intensity. And in the third, I mean, that day five, uh, maybe I can forgive him a little bit for losing his cool on, on, on that day because, yeah, he played his heart out the series and got let down by 10 other blokes, you know. Now let's just talk about some of the individual performances that stood out from that third test. Really for Australia, the real performances were with the bat in the first innings. We saw Sean Marsh returning to the side, making 130, and Steve Smith making 119. So the two of them put on 246 runs. So it really was a good selection there by the Aussie selectors. We don't often say that very. We don't say that very often. No, especially involving Sean Marsh as well. Um, but he was cool, wasn't he? Yeah, he was cool he's a, as a cucumber. Subcontinental specialist now. Well, it's bizarre, isn't it? Because he's from WA, which has the reputation of being the bounciest track uh, in Australia. Maybe it's not anymore. But he was so cool and so calm, and I think he had a real stabilising influence. Uh, and. Uh, I think it was a great selection. Well, his problem is nicking off early against the fast bowlers. Yeah. So maybe these low, slower tracks suit his technique. And yep. perhaps he's a lock for India. No matter what happens this summer, they're going to have to pick a whole new team for yeah. the conditions. And he'll be one of the first picked. It was actually interesting watching Marsh and Smith bat together. They were a very interesting partnership because Smith was using his feet. You know, he dances around a lot. He likes to manipulate the crease. And Marsh was just sort of standing tall and just playing the ball on its, on its merits, you know, going back to the short ones and, and obviously coming forward when it's, when it's pitched up. But he didn't try to... He, he didn't really try anything fancy. He just played very traditional, uh, solid cricket. And I think... Um, <clears throat> that was the most pleasing thing for me because it was exactly as Patrick said, that's what the Sri Lankan batsmen were doing. The, the real tragedy was that they got out within three overs of each other. If one of them could have settled down and formed a partnership with Voges, I think Australia could have built a huge lead. But getting them out straight away really precipitated the collapse. And it seems to me whenever Australia does play in the subcontinent, two wickets in quick succession often becomes eight or nine. Well, happened in the second innings, but yes, yeah, so Sri Lanka made 355 and we responded with 379. And as you say, if, if someone had stuck around a little bit longer and they could get 100 in front, then all of a sudden Australia could dominate the game. But being only 25, 30 in front is just not enough. Steve Smith made his 15th test century. It was his first century in Asia. He brought up his 4,000 test runs in his 80th test innings. That's the joint third fastest for Australia. Don Bradman's the fastest with 48 innings and uh, Matthew Hayden with 77 innings. Smith joins Neil Harvey with 80 test innings for 4,000 runs. Amazing record, but actually he's the youngest ever Australian to make 4,000 test runs, beating Ricky Ponting's record. So the sky's the limit for yeah. Steve Smith. We're looking at 10,000 plus if he can keep this up. Yeah, he's a prolific run scorer and uh, he, he's a joy to watch as well. I find him very entertaining. Now that he's at number three, I guess, is that where he's going to stay for the rest of his career? I don't think so. I think it will just be for the subcontinent. And then when we get back to Aussie wickets, he'll go back to number four. And then, as I said, next year in India, I think they'll shuffle the order altogether. I think he's good at four, though. I like him at four. We are coming into a, a period in the Australian cricket team where they do have to be more fluid with their selection, where you do look at it and say, this guy has been great over the summer on Australian pitches, but now that we're going to South Africa or now that we're going to India you're not going to play and we're going to bring in people who have proven that they can do it, like uh, Sean Marsh has done well on the subcontinent. And I think that was the thinking behind Enriquez coming in as well. Yeah, exactly was the thinking behind Enriquez coming. He's played in the IPL. I don't know if this, his selection was a popular one, but I think it was the right one. I think Kawaja looked like a sitting duck, so did Joe Burns. Yep. And the, the selectors and the captain just wanted new people in there. Yep. And I think, I think Enriquez was unlucky in the second innings when he was out. 
But yeah, he's got a lot of experience in India, so I wouldn't be surprised if he goes next year. The other contribution in this innings, which I think was really important, is we saw Mitchell Marsh score a patient 53. It was his second ever test half century, and it was a really mature innings in foreign conditions and a crucial innings because around him, the Australians fell away to Rangana Hanath. He took Harath, he took six for 81, but Mitchell Marsh, I think that was a really timely knock for him coming into the summer. Well, I've got to say, Mitchell Marsh is underwhelming me in terms of his test batting performances. I feel as though he's there as an all-rounder and he should be scoring runs at a better rate than he is. Well, I think he's running out of time, Pat. I think yeah. you're not in the minority I mean, there. I think people have been patient up until now and now they're expecting that the fact that he's played almost 20 tests for that to start to profit with some consistent performances. What we have seen in this series is he's got a lot of starts, which I think is a good thing because it's often hard to start in test cricket that first 10 or 20 runs. Now he needs to capitalise on those starts and get that first century out of the way. He's shown in one day cricket the ability to play some breakthroughs innings but I think this innings was crucial because had he failed both innings of this game maybe next summer he wouldn't be an automatic pick for the first test. And and there are a handful of those uh, all-rounders that are sort of tapping away in the in the lower divisions like you've got Glenn Maxwell, James Faulkner who will all be trying to stake a claim for a test spot this summer so I think Mitchell Marsh does need to score some runs soon. you've been listening to Paul with that Glenn Maxwell talk no doubt <clears throat> well, you'll have him opening the batting yeah. soon like Paul I'm glad you nipped that in the bud menace I, uh, well, I'm very pro Glenn Maxwell <laughs> I can tell so Australia they didn't get enough of a lead Sri Lanka came out in the second innings they made 347 for 8 led by Kushal Silver who made 115 after making 18 runs in the previous 5 innings in the series Australia was set an unlikely 324 runs to win on the last afternoon and it started promisingly. Marsh and David Warner put on 77 so we were none for 77 and then we were all out for 160 and to give you an idea of how bad this collapse was it is the third worst collapse for Australia by balls in test cricket. Now Basically, it took 136 balls for all 10 wickets to fall for Australia, which has only happened twice before since records of uh, ball-by-ball data have been kept. So we really we collapsed very quickly. I think it was all, almost a session. We lost almost 10 wickets. So that's our nine, ro- nine test losses in a row on the subcontinent, three whitewashes in a row. Harath uh, took 28 wickets against us, and I think he was the, the dis- chief destroyer. And I think this stat, this is the must Here's stat of the podcast, listeners. If you take one thing away, Rangana Harath's strike rate was 31 in this series. That's a wicket every five overs, basically. Unbelievable. He had a great, he had a great series, and I was quite surprised when, I, when the stat came up on TV that he has taken the most wickets for Sri Lanka against Australia. Mm. It's just one of those stats where you just assume that Murali would be out in front, Shaminda Vas would be second, and there'd be daylight. But Harath is the most successful Sri Lankan bowler against Australia. He loves bowling against us. Yeah, he's been around uh, the traps for a little yeah. while now, actually. And, and he, um, he's an old-school kind of cricketer in the way, you know, he's, he's not particularly fit necessarily, you know. He's not flamboyant really in any oh, way, but he gets the, the job I done. He's... he got copped it in the balls. Yeah, like, and how, the... <laughs> how can I leave that one out? So that was up there with Alistair Cook copping it in the nuts in the Ashes last year. I must admit I got a lot more joy out of Cook copping it than I did poor Harath. Uh, but he was noticeably uncomfortable and yeah. hindered by a severe blow to the nuts by Josh Hazelwood. You know, the Australians, they didn't win any test matches, but they did, uh, Harat's balls did fall victim to the Aussie quicks. 
He'll be struggling, I think, for a little while. David Byrne tells a, a pretty horrific story about that happening to him and having the area lanced to drain the fluid. So oh. Harath might be going through something like that right now. Well, at least he, he, it, it always is less painful if you've won. It's always less painful it happens to someone else. Yeah. Now, that was the third test versus Sri Lanka. The horrific tour of Sri Lanka continues with a one-day series. We're going to preview that one-day series in a minute. But before we get into that, I've got a brand new game for the panellists and for the listeners. And it's a sledging game because I love sledging. And for my birthday, I got a new book on with some great sledges in it. So in this game, I'm going to be reading out some of the classic sledges from the history of cricket, and then I'm going to be putting the panellists on the spot, and they're going to have to identify who said these famous or infamous sledges. And the way it's going to work is I'm going to start off with Bob. I'm going to give him the first sledge. If he can name the person that said it, he gets a point. If he doesn't know who said it, Patrick has a chance to steal the point. Guys, are you ready? Are you excited about this sledging game? Absolutely. Very exciting. Can we you're just too nice some... for this game, Bob, so can... I don't think you're going to know many. <laughs> I don't think I will, but can we just um, clarify some of the rules? So are these Australian cricketers, or is it from all no, around the world? No, they're from all around the world. Okay. Okay, so let's start. I've got a, a, an early sledge for you here, Bob. "'Twas the wind which took thy bail off, sir." Who do we think said that one? Uh, it's uh, who's the most Shakespearean out in the field. Um... Victor Trumper. That's wrong, unfortunately, Bob. Patrick, can you steal this one? Well, I was going to say that that seems far too erudite to be an Australian cricketer, so I might go the doctor, W.G. Grace. Excellent. A point for Patrick. Well done. Now, uh, who it wants to be a sound effect of some kind, some type of ding, ding. sort of reward. Now, the, and interestingly, the umpire's response to that was, indeed, and let us hope thy wind helps you back to the pavilion. So the umpire <laughs> was pretty quick-witted as well. That is really it was, good. It was, a, it was a very fast talking uh, cricket scene back then, wasn't it? Oh, it was all happening. The repartee, we, the they bands. Didn't, they didn't have st- stump mics. They didn't have hashtags, but they had the banter. Yeah. Now, question two, Pat. For a point. Shane Warne was trying to tempt Arjuna Ranatunga down the track when the Aussie keeper at the time said, put a Mars bar at a good length, that should do it. Which Aussie keeper was well, that? Well, I'm going to go for the obvious one, which would be Ian Healy. Excellent, Patrick. You're two from two. Oh, good. The, uh, I was obviously tempted to say Chuck Berry. Yeah, I was down there for that game, actually. Um, it was pretty- Shane Warne's, uh, Shane Warne's uh, man love for Darren Berry is quite spectacular. Now, question three, Bobby. Which West Indian fast bowler said this to David Boone during his test debut? Now, David, are you going to get out now or am I going to have to bowl around the wicket and kill you? Which West Indian wow. fast bowler Could be said any that of them, to David them. Boone? It was all about, I think, 84 or 85. Yeah, all, all four of them from that era. Um, terrifying. Uh, I feel like I'm horribly out of my depth here, guys. Um, I'm 2-0 down. This is important. It's like the test series in New Zealand earlier. Have a go at it. Patrick, do you want to steal? Bob, you got quick? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Joel Garner. That was also going to be my pick. You're both wrong, unfortunately. It was the late, great Malcolm Marshall. Ah. Imagine that in your test innings. <laughs> you got Malcolm Marshall saying, look, get out or I'm going to kill you. Yeah. It's um, sort of Michael Clark to James Anderson, wasn't it? But, um, now, Patrick. Get ready for a broken f and Question four, Patrick. Now, you get a point for identifying each party. Aussie to Pom. So how's your wife and my kids? Pom to Aussie. Wife's good, but the kids are retarded. Which Aussie and Pom were involved in that exchange? Uh, it's, a, it's a classic schoolyard uh, comment, isn't it? Uh, 
Jeez, I'm trying to think of what era that might have been. It sounds, it sounds like it's got an 80s bent to it. Perhaps. I, I, I would say that it sounds like a bowler to a batsman. Maybe someone like... Uh, I think the batsman might be beefy. And I'm going to say... Ding, ding. That's one right. And I'm going to say that the bowler... Tomo? Close. It was Rod Marsh to oh, him both. And you got yeah. one point for that. You're three points now to Bob Zero. So that's good. Australia's beating the Kiwis in this game. Three zip. One more for you, Bob, before I put you out of your misery. You're not going to know this. Raman Saburo in a county match misfielded <coughs> a ball and Sorry. it went to the boundary. Can I just get the um, player's name again? This is very niche, Menas. Uh, Raman Saburo in a county match misfielded a ball and it went to the boundary. He then said to the bowler, Sorry, I should have kept my legs together. To which the bowler replied, Not you, son. Your mother should have. Which legendary Yorkshire fast bowler said that? Legendary Yorkshire fast bowler. Oh, no. That's a bit of a stitch-up, I think. Um, there's only one... Honestly, this is, shows my, uh, my contemporary-ness. Um, I can only think of one person from Yorkshire from that, assuming this, this is the error. Um, and he was a batsman, so... Uh, I'm going to have... Boycott. No. Uh, Patrick, do you know this one? No, I'm out, guys. I, I'm not sure where Bob Willis was from. Was he a Yorkshireman? No, you're both wrong. It was Fred Truman. Oh, God, that's... We, going yeah, back, a, going back a long way, yeah. Come on, it was a good call, though, wasn't it? Your mother should have. Yeah. Excellent no, wit from Fred Truman. That's terrific. So three points. Last one now, Pat. This is just for pride. You've won the game. Question six. Don't worry, Shane. You can sleep in my bed tonight. Who said it and why? Don't worry, Shane. You can sleep in my bed tonight. Oh, I assume he'd just been kicked out by one of his myriad uh, paramours. Wrong, Shane. Oh, oh! This is Shane Watson when he was in England, and he, he got caught in the uh, in the in the in the castle, in the, castle. The, the haunted castle. Oh. Which, which fast bowler from Yorkshire as well, actually? Jeez, uh, Yorkshire fast bowlers for England. Uh, Steve Harmison, he was from Durham. Uh, Darren Goff, Patrick. Darren, Darren Goff. Goff. Uh, so the, do you remember when Darren Goff did the old ghost uh, hands at yeah. Watto in the middle of a one I do. I do remember, you know, one of the many uh, parts of Shane Watson's co-curricular careers was his night in the ghost house. Love that story. That's terrific. Well, that was a sledging game well and truly run by Patrick. We'll see how... Uh, the panellists do next week on the show. I hope you enjoyed those sledges and more to come. I love a good sledge. Love, just love it. It's in my blood. Um, now let's look ahead to the five-match one-day series versus Sri Lanka. It starts this Sunday. We have two matches in Colombo, then two in Dambulla, and then they finish in Palakeli. We've got a very different squad to the test squad. Obviously players like Bailey, Finch, Faulkner, come into the side. Zampa comes uh, back from a successful CPL. Matty Wade comes in as the keeper. Guys, what are your feelings? Will this be more successful than the test stuff? I think that, it, you know, one-day cricket is still a bit of, you know, I'll win today and you'll win tomorrow. There's still an element of that to it. Uh, so I, I'd be very surprised if we get whitewashed here. But I do think Sri Lanka will probably have the edge 3-2. Yeah, I was thinking it would be something like 3-2 as well. Interestingly that your man, Glenn Maxwell, was left out of this squad. And they left out Travis Head, which meant there was no part-time spinner. Then I think Rod Marsh and the selectors actually looked at the squad and went, actually, yeah, we've, we've forgotten the part-time spinner. <laughs> and then they sent an SOS for Travis Head, so he's now joined the squad. That seems like a, a severe lack of planning by the selectors, doesn't I, it? I mean, one thing I like about Maxwell is that he is inconsistent, but he is a guy where if you need 30 off 12, he can conceivably do it. 
Whereas yeah, what, every five or ten innings? Yeah, but, you know, the, the, there is that potential. Whereas before Travis Head joined that squad, I look through it, and I don't really think there's anyone there that can do something phenomenal at the end of a game to win a match. And, and so that's why I like having Maxwell on the side, in addition to the fact that he can bowl and he's an outstanding fieldsman. Head fills that role, though. I think Head will be battling for that number five spot that Maxwell occupied. What do you think, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Maxwell's had, you know, he's, he had a purple patch during the World Cup last year and actually the lead-up to the World Cup, he was, he was outstanding. But since then, he hasn't done a thing. And that's disappointing. You can't keep, you can't keep picking a guy who's playing as badly as he has been. Um, so to me, it's as simple as that. Uh, Head was in the UK, wasn't he, playing um, for with Jason Gillespie for Jason Gillespie? So maybe, maybe it was in the back of their minds all along, but they just wanted to keep him playing, and uh, and then and then bring Head across. Poor planning, that's what. It <clears throat> and was. Uh, maybe, but just to just to Patrick's point, I think it's a fair point having someone there who can do that job. Um, and I'm just going to throw a couple of names who I think could do that job: uh, Mitchell Marsh. Uh, he's come a long way in one-day cricket recently. James Faulkner was famous for being the finisher, and maybe you know his time out of the side will will reignite that fire. Um, Coulter Nile, Mitchell Stark, all these guys can clear the rope uh, if and when need be, and they also, you know, Maxi is just a liability. Sorry, guys. Yeah, he, well, he, none of them have scored centuries in World Cup quarterfinals, though. Yeah, well, this, this yeah, is look, I, th- I sit, I sit somewhere between you two. I, I would have picked Maxi for this tour because of the conditions. He's he's good against the spinners and he can bowl spin. I think it was wrong tour to leave him out of but I also think it'll do wonders for his career this kick up the ass yeah. at this stage because you can't score 10 runs in 5 or 6 innings and not expect to have your spot in the side question that's right okay. um, but talking about questioning spots now this is a really interesting one Usman Khawaja was in destructive form for the last year. He's just had a horrible test series. Now, should he walk back into the one-day side, or should they take into consideration his recent form in this test series? I, I think that they should have him in the side, and I think they should do it under the, the, the guise of giving Dave Warner a rest. I think that, you know, that manages to give him a go while also you know, saving face a little bit. Uh, so I, I, would rest, I would rest Dave Warner. I might even rest Steve Smith. And, and play uh, and play uh, Quaja at the top of the order with Aaron Finch. Well, I think during this five match series they will rotate the top order a little bit, so yeah. we'll see some players get a go. But I think a couple of things that I want to just hone in on there, Pat. Firstly, if Smith rests, that means David Warner is the Australian captain. I don't think we've seen that yet at international level. He's been, he hasn't had the chance I to take over the reins. So we'll see Warner, the captain, come out. And he's had a very successful IPL. He led mm-hmm. his side to the IPL title. It's going to be fascinating to watch the way he leads the Australian team in a one-day international. I mean, because of their ages, it doesn't look as though Dave Warner is actually considered a long-term prospect to be the captain of the Australian side. But there's every you know there's always the chance that Steve Smith will be injured and suddenly Dave Warner is captaining the side in perhaps an important series. The Ashes. Much like Gilly, Adam Gilchrist captained Australia to a winning test series in India when Ricky Ponning was injured. So I think it would be actually be good to introduce Dave Warner to captaincy in a controlled environment where he's making decisions but, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all. So I, I think they should be, I think we should be doing more of that in general in sport. Yeah, but do you think Kawaja should be questioned, though, after yes, this? Yes, absolutely, he should be questioned. He, um, I mean, he, was, uh, he is the incumbent, uh, really. Uh, if we go back to the West Indies tri-series, 
uh, it was Kawaja and Finch who were the opening combo. Now, Finch actually scored more runs at a better average, and I yeah, think... Yeah. Um, I forgot about you and Aaron Finch. Yeah, well, I really, I really rate Finch, and we saw that. You know, he, he wasn't picked until the end of the T20 World Cup, and he, and he performed. So, for me, Kawaja's out, and Warner takes his spot. Now, let's, let, let's lock in these predictions. So, Patrick, you're going 3-2 Sri Lanka? I'm going 3-2 Sri Lanka. Very entertaining. Great time zone for Australia. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching it. Bob, what do you think? Uh, 5-0 Australia, redemption. Um, it's the number one. Does that count only... as a test win if we uh, win 5-0? Well, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> listeners, I'm just going to let you guys know that Bob has been getting my hopes up this whole friggin' Sri Lankan tour. After the first test, he was like, oh, no, the Aussies are going to turn it around. What is going on with you? If the Australians are going to win 5-0. No, Did you see the way we performed in the Caribbean in that tri-series? As soon as we get on a slow, low wicket, we struggle in any any form of the game. The only difference in the one day to the test side is in the one day side, we can do a little better against in, in slow, low conditions. But still, we collapsed a couple of times in the West Indies. And I can't yeah. see the Australians <clears throat> winning this series 5-0. Yeah, look. Maybe maybe not every game, but I'd like to think... Pull your head in, son. Well, you line both teams up on paper, and same thing I did before the Test Series, same thing everybody did. Uh, yeah, but they don't say, play the game on paper. Yeah, well, this is the problem, obviously, because um, if they did, Australia would be, you know, miles ahead. But they are, this one form of the game that Australia very rarely loses at is one-day cricket. They're experts at one-day cricket. And uh, we've got some guys coming back, like Warner, who was out with his thumb for the Tri-Series. Uh, there were a few other players as well. Uh, so, I mean, Marsh maybe is finding a bit of form over there. Uh, Smith's obviously looking good. He just come so off a good 100. So you're sticking to 5-0? 5-0, guys. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> they're, they're, they're very hungry for this, trust me. Uh, I like it, Bob. I like your confidence. I'm going to go for a 3-2 series victory to Australia. I think there's going to be some close games. But like Bob, I think Australia is pretty good at one-day cricket. But I think it's, we'll see the Sri Lankans produce some slow, low wickets, which will bring the sides close together. I also think the scores will be more familiar to older one-day cricket fans. 220 will be a good yeah, score. Yeah, I think that I think 250 will be a very difficult uh, score to run down. We're not going to see the 380s you see when we tour India. Yeah, I like those sort of um, chases as well because they keep your interest for a lot longer. Mm. Well, that's it. Let's, let's finish this show with the most popular segment, the commentator critique. It is, it is getting rave reviews all across the cricket podcasting world. They're tuning in to the, listen to the serve that they're getting on the Australian Cricket Podcast. And, you know, one thing that I've noticed sort of going through these critiques is that Australia doesn't produce many cricket, very good cricket commentators. You know, when you look at the English commentators, and, and it's, I think Australia's probably down the rung. If we're doing a, a commentary rankings table... I'm pretty sure we're down the rung and England are probably up the top of producing the best commentators. Is that a, a fair well, assessment? It's times like this my degree in sociology comes in handy, Menas. The commentators are in cricket are invariably drawn from past players and in Australia, cricket is a game for all people. And so we, we see a lot of people who barely finished high school, let alone went up to Oxford to read law, making their way through the ranks. Whereas I think in England, it's a more landed gentry game where... A lot of people who come from what they call public schools, what we would call private schools, mm. very well educated, very well to do. I remember David Gow once had to stop a press conference because he had tickets to the theatre. So yeah, I think that that's one of the. I think that's the practical reason why their commentators are better yeah. to listen to. It, it, it's not even. I mean, that's all completely true. Um, but it's more than that. I just think an English accent just makes you sound more educated, doesn't it? And, and we sort of. I think we. I think we we like that. Whereas the you could be a very highly educated Australian and still come off to the rest of the world as a bit uh, a bit boorish. 
Well, let's get into the commentators this week. Let's line them up. Starting off for assessment, Mike Atherton. I think he commentates like he batted. He's very dour, conservative commentator. Much better writer than a commentator. He's exceptionally insightful, but I find quite boring. What do you guys think of Atherton? I agree that he's a cracking journalist. He, I read his columns uh, religiously. I think he's very good. I, I think that uh, his commentary is quite good. It's, it's always laced with a bit of salt. And also, there's a bit of self-awareness about him perhaps not fulfilling his potential and about him always failing as a captain and batsman against Australia. So I always enjoy uh, listening to his commentary when we're playing the Ashes. Yeah, I really like it. I, I actually quite enjoy his sort of very dry sense of humour. Um, and, uh, and, and you just co-sign everything you've said about his, his writing. It's uh, terrific. Well, Atherton got a pretty good rap from you guys there. Mm. Now let's move on to another former English captain, but a much more divisive figure... Beefy Botham. Bob, you want to start us off with this one? Um, well, there's been a lot of talk about Channel 9, I guess, over the last few weeks um, and about sort of the boys club and, and the, the pack of lads, if you like, up in, up in the box. And, and Botham, to me, seems like the English equivalent. Uh, he's the English version of that. So when he's with, maybe if he's sitting alongside David Gower and Michael Atherton, Michael Holding, uh, he can add some, some real value. Um, but if he's with a couple of mates, uh, I think it uh, can descend into chaos fairly quickly. I think of the of the commentators we're discussing, he'd be the one I'd most want to have a beer with, but I'm not really sure whether I'd want to listen to him commentate cricket for six hours. You know your mate Paul wants to have a beer with James Brayshaw and Ramiz Raja. I mean, I think you're doing better with both of them. Both of them have a few stories. I, I Look, Beefy Botham's the sort of guy where I'm glad that commentary stints are 20 minutes because that's the most I can take of yeah, exposure I, to him. My opinion of Beefy is he's too self-important and he gets yeah. he gets gets so carried away with his own mm. thoughts and his own opinion and has to be done this way and he's not funny anymore like he used to be this cavalier all-rounder you know funny entertaining but, he's lost that now he's not much of a raconteur he seems to almost i don't know if he enjoys commentating he's just bitter and he's always complaining about the english team i don't know he's, he's lost a bit of luster for me he's one of the commentators and shane warns another where i'm deeply suspicious about whether cricket is actually his favorite sport and so i think he's a frustrated footballer he's a rugby player he loves rugby both of them doesn't he no he, he he um he was a big into um association football soccer and I think that, that was, he was more frustrated about that. Association football goal, we've taken a leap back in time. So both of them are fairly warm there from both of you. Now, one of the f- most beloved Australian radio commentators, Kerry O'Keefe. Who wants to start this one off? The day Kerry O'Keefe retired was a win for my listening to cricket on the radio. Here we I, go. We've got wow. the first serve. <laughs> oh, I couldn't stand him. I couldn't stand his, uh, his boorish anecdotes. I couldn't stand him laughing at his own jokes couldn't stand his um, sort of overwrought, self-deprecating humour. I, I just didn't, didn't rate him a, as a well, commentator this at all. Well, not going to be shared, I think, by many of the listeners. Bob, where are you on uh, this one? Well, I mean, I wasn't, you know, lucky enough to listen to, to much um, of Kerry O'Keefe, but the, little, the, the, the snippets I have, um, I mean, basically are the exact opposite of what Patrick just said. I, I quite enjoy the self-deprecating uh, humour. I, I really... Um, value the anecdotes and uh, and I think he offers he offered uh, some really amazing insight and so yeah so I'm in complete uh, contradiction to Patrick on that one. Patrick I see what you mean that he, he was larger than the life he used to laugh at his own jokes and that could come across to some people as being annoying and 
But what I think he brought to the commentary that it was lacking sometimes was real emotion. And I clearly remember him commentating up until Steve War scored that famous last ball century at the SCG. And his call, the way he, he built to the crescendo of that day, just encapsulated the whole moment. So, and also, his tremendous knowledge. He had a real... He was a real cricket lover. Unlike both of them, uh, you know, there's no question about his love for the game. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Kerry O'Keefe. Uh, yeah. Uh, you're allowed to like him. Thanks. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> now, uh, moving on from Kerry O'Keefe, and I put this one in for Bob, so you can start us off. We've got ex-New Zealand wicketkeeper Ian Smith. Well, you know me, I'm always um, sort of the first cab off the rank when it comes to praising Kiwis, but I'm not going to do it on this occasion. He's uh, Actually, it's ironic talking about second favourite sports. I think cricket is Ian Smith's second favourite sport. <laughs> no doubt uh, about that one. After rugby. And uh, to me, Ian Smith is always the, he's the annoying guy at the party that sort of knows one or two people and just tries too hard to, to pretend he's friends with everyone. Um, kind of like me, actually, when I <laughs> attend parties. But... Um, he, yeah, he, he gets lost in his own world. He's always trying to one-up uh, his fellow commentators. Um, he does, you know, he, he does know the game, I think, very well. But I think he could try a bit harder to share that knowledge with the with the listeners. And um, yeah, so uh, minus uh, minus marks for me for Ian Smith. I think he's a very good rugby union commentator. Now let's finish this commentator critique with a West Indian fast bowler that is, I feel, much more uh, soft-spoken than I imagine because he was a fearsome fast bowler, Ian Bishop. What do we think of Ian Bishop as a commentator? Um, I find him kind of boring. I, uh, I, I, I do. I mean, it's a shame because he's got an amazing accent and I'd love to listen to him. Uh, but uh, but he's, he's no Michael Holding. I'd love to have Ian Bishop read me the newspaper every morning, but I wouldn't trust him for insights into cricket. Yeah, I like Ian Bishop. I think he's a good commentator. Without someone that stands out from the pack, uh, as I, I think Australia gets such a low bar with what Channel 9 serves up. That Can you imagine being Bishop in there in the Channel 9 commentary, how good that would be to just break up the boorishness of them? So, and I think he's quite mm. a, a thinking man's commentator. He, he's very thoughtful about the game. And he has, so I like him. You don't find him a bit repetitive? It's, I think uh, I feel like it's Groundhog Day every time he's commentated. It's I the feel same. like that can be a sort of critique for most commentators. Yeah, I, if I, I suppose if you've been watching following so. cricket for as long as we have, I find that it's the same anecdotes get wheeled out every summer. Yeah, it's the yeah. same people. It's the same jackets. The only thing that changes is their receding hairline. And this, this podcast is not doing good for the commentator's <laughs> ego, I can tell you that much. Well, listeners, if you want to send us your opinion on some of these commentators, get in touch with the show on Gmail, OzCricketPod, AUSCricketPod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at OzCricketPod, AUSCricketPod. We're on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or any podcast that we're there. If you've got time, please rate the show, uh, review the show. We'd love to get your feedback. Patrick and Bob, thanks for coming in for the podcast this week. Thank you, Menace. Thank you, listeners. Shame was after a 3-0 series defeat and not a, a famous victory in Sri Lanka, but, you know, can't have it so all. That's all right. 5-0 uh, whitewash one the, day is around the corner. So. The good thing about cricket is there's always another meaningless series on the horizon. Well, yeah. on that note, listeners, we'll be back next week, actually. The show will be going back to Monday recordings for the next few weeks as the we get back onto a more regular schedule. So, listeners, look out for a new show next week. And thanks for downloading the Australian Cricket Podcast. What a marvellous stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Sports Social Podcast Network.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.